0: Welcome to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the Spirit within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus' prayer that we may all be one. And now... Here are your co-hosts.
1: Welcome back to another Common Grounds Unity Podcast. I'm Kevin Witham, and I'm thrilled to be back with you and thrilled to have our guest returning for a third week in a row. He's got a very interesting and intriguing book out there that I think uh, you'll want to pick up and engage in your conversation, or in your congregation, and in your conversation as well. Michael Burns is our guest. Um, Michael is uh, on the teaching ministry team at the Minneapolis Saint Paul Church of Christ, uh, the Two Cities Church. But by the time you're hearing this, he will likely already have made a transition to the Dallas Church of Christ, which is a Congregation and the ICOC Family of Churches. Um, Our Common Grounds Unity podcast brings together uh, folks from all the streams of the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement. And if this is your first time joining us, um, welcome. You can go back and listen to the previous two podcasts with Michael and all of our other podcasts, which bring some great guests in for dialogue and conversation, and they come from Churches of Christ, International Churches of Christ, Independent Christian Churches, Disciples of Christ. We're we're just trying to have these good conversations that lead to better dialogue and and help us to build bridges, finding common grounds with others in this movement. And we hope you do that at your local level, um, just by you know, bringing together gatherings of fellow believers, both in this movement and outside the movement, have a cup of coffee and have some good conversation and find that common ground. So Michael, welcome
2: back. Are we wearing you out? I am all right. I'm glad to be here. If if you're willing to continue to subject yourself to me, I will continue to join you.
1: Oh, it's no problem. Um, subjecting ourselves to you. You've not worn us out a bit. Um, th- th- this has been a good conversation. Uh, the book again, that Michael has written that we've been focusing on, he's written a number of books and, and all of them can be found at his website, Ministry.com. I've mentioned that on each of the podcasts, Ministry.com. You can pick this book up there. You can also get it uh, on amazon is there a ebook edition of this Michael?
2: there as is well? you can get that uh you can find that through my website or at the publishers site. yep
1: okay, so to recap for those of you that may be joining this podcast for the first time in this series, again, I'd encourage you to go back to the start. You know Michael's book is dealing with um we as disciples engaging our culture and being kingdom-oriented people, uh, and influencing our world for the good. I I think that's a good summary of it. And he, he talks in the book about, you know, the Christian's place in politics. Some are way over on this side. They are all in and seem to have just a steadfast allegiance to a certain set of political beliefs and even party. And and allegiance to country at a level where maybe that comes ahead of, you know, kingdom allegiance to those who, you know, may say I'm a kingdom person. I'm a disciple of Christ, and I find no place in my life for that kind of engagement with the culture, politically or otherwise. He he tries to help us navigate a course that helps us to make our first allegiance: Jesus as Lord and the kingdom of God but in a way that helps us to be better salt and light in our communities and in our culture. So it's it's been a great conversation. Last week, we started focusing on uh, the nine principles of engagement that he talks about in the book. And so I wanted us to just kind of touch on each of these and highlight them for the course of our conversation here. And hopefully, what's your appetite? Not that uh, Michael it didn't come on here to sell books, but I know he'd love it if you picked up a coffee to, to just engage the content, the conversation, you know, you don't write books unless you think what you're writing has value and importance. So I'm happy to promote the book for him and, and hope you'll consider it. So last week we got into the first, you know, principles and rules are two different things. Michael, why don't you just start us there, just kind of get back into this, uh, Tell us a little bit about principles as opposed to um, rules and why each of these principles are important in this conversation. Then I'll take us into the sixth principle, I believe, is where we are.
2: Well, it's funny because a lot of us really like rules because rules are easier. Principles are challenging. Rules tell us exactly what to do, regardless of the circumstances, here you go. And I think we've all fallen into that way of thinking, including myself at times. I'm like, man, if God would have just made it clear, just told me what to do and what not to do, that'd be much easier. But that's not really, I I think God's intent is because God knows how to do that. If that's what he wanted to do, that's not what we find in the New Testament. Instead, we find these principles, because principles, we have to think through how to apply them to different situations. We have to become mature. We have to become discerning. We have to start to, to grow and become more Christ-like. And so principles are, are murkier. It's like, okay, here's, here's the general idea, but now how do I live it out? And I, I've often joked, you know, Can you imagine if when you are married, if someone gave you a list and said, here's the six rules, do these six things with your wife every day and she'll be happy? Uh, I don't think that would work. (laughs) It it, it just wouldn't. But there's wouldn't in my marriage. Right. Yeah. And as soon as you got (laughs) those rules down, it would change anyways. And you'd you'd be in trouble again uh, because they wouldn't apply. But you you have you know, instead you approach your marriage with like principles and you have to figure out how to apply them. What does it mean to love my wife in this moment? What does it mean to be empathetic with her right now? Like, how should I do that? You know, the wheels are turning and you're kind of panicked. Like, is this the right way to do it? I don't know. And you, you mess it up and you learn and you, you grow and, and that's what principles are. And I think that's what we find in the new Testament. And so when I, when I wrote escaping the beast, I, again, I didn't have all the answers, but it was more like, how do we apply Uh, You know, what are the principles that I see that are really prevalent in the New Testament that would make sense to apply to politics? But I really meant it. I loved it when you said, you know, pick up a copy to engage in the discussion, because I really meant it as let's start a discussion on this. What would it look like for the people of God to really all embrace this kingdom mindset, and, and how would we uh, apply these principles in, uh, that we find in the New Testament and approach the world with these in mind?
1: Boy, that's an excellent uh, definition. Good analogy from marriage there. Uh, I think that helps people get their arms around this uh, well. We talked last week about, uh, I think, the first four principles. I'll go through them again just quickly. Focus I think we did allegiance. five.
2: Sorry. I think we got five down.
1: Did we do five? We did do five. That's right. I th- Thank we're, you. we're
2: more efficient
1: than you even realize. Look at I'm that. I'm telling you, we're a team. <laughs> we're a very efficient team. So All right. Focus Allegiance was number one. Understand the purpose of the kingdom was two. Stand for justice, number three. Mercy triumphs over judgment, number four. And then, as you said, the fifth, we talked about display, solidarity, and empathy. So, I want to start out and kick us off with a discussion of principle number 6, be angered by the right things. Help us to understand your thought there.
2: Sure. Well, this is this is one of those areas I think of when Jesus challenged the Pharisees, you know, and he he says at one point Matthew 23 And you paid attention to all these little fine points of the law and and tithing on (laughs) mint and dill and cumin, but you've missed the big things of, of mercy and justice and those sorts of things. And I think it's so easy to lose sight. We mentioned last week in the Sermon on the Mount, right after Jesus calls to seek first the kingdom, The very next concept he goes into is do not judge, because when you're trying to live out a kingdom life, it's so easy to be sincere about it. And you're going after following Jesus and you're going after putting to death the sin in your life. But then we start to forget and we turn around and we expect the world to make those same choices. But the world hasn't yet chosen to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, don't throw your pearls to pigs. You can't force this on people. It it has to be attractive. You have to invite them to it. But we forget that oftentimes. And so we get angered by the wrong things. We get angered by people who are lost and acting like lost people rather than true injustice in the world and rather than appealing to those people in mercy and love and showing them a different way. And, you know, so and I'm not saying we just throw out standards and don't care about anything, but it's about what really motivates us. And I give several examples in the book I talk about, you know, I say if if you become more upset about gay marriage being made legal than about some of the hate and violence and discrimination that has been leveled against these people historically, then maybe you've kind of lost a kingdom perspective there. And if you're getting just cheesed up, mad and angry because some local clerk at the Target says happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, but you don't give a second thought to the the wasteful use of resources and materialism and out of control consumerism in our culture that lead to abject poverty for some and ridiculous wealth for others then maybe we've lost a kingdom perspective. And, and you know, I give a, a bunch of other examples. And, and again, I'm I'm not saying just, oh, forget s- s- certain sins or whatever, that those things are okay. But it's, uh, are we being angry about the things that anger God? Mm-hmm. You know, and when you look at, again, where Jesus went, who he challenged, what he got angry about, it was about injustices. It was about shutting people out. It was about not showing them mercy. Jesus showed people incredible mercy and compassion, and relationship and love. And then, once he had created that bond, then he would say, "Go and sin no more." Let's let's talk about you following me. But and so a lot of these overlap. And so there's a lot of the mercy over judgment in in this principle too, is is being. angry about the right things, because anger is an emotion that God gave us that should spur us on to take action against injustice. And I think we lose sight about it a lot of times, and we get more angry about people sinning. We forget that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the principalities and the powers and Satan and his schemes and, and some of these bigger things. And so that, that's just one of those principles to keep us focused is, is where we can really lose focus so easily.
1: Boy, excellent points. And, and you know, you, you made an observation there that just really kind of sticks with me. Uh, look at the things that angered Jesus, um, you know, turning his father's house of prayer, the temple, into a den of thieves. You know, his scathing rebukes were saved for those religious leaders who shut others out of the kingdom and in their self-righteousness kind of marginalized other people. And you know, there's just, man, there's so much there. And, you know, I, I hear people getting so heated and directing, you know, these invectives against politicians that they disagree with. And here, you know, Peter comes along, right. honor the King, honor the governor, submit to yeah. him. And, uh, that that sticks with me what what are the things that anger Jesus? so wow, good stuff. Let's talk about number seven use kingdom weapons. Uh, talk yes. to us about those kingdom weapons
2: so we I've kind of alluded to this one, and again, these start to you know definitely mesh together uh, and this is probably the clearest passage where I build this principle from the second Corinthians 10, two to five, where Paul talks about not using the weapons of the world. Uh, we have the power to demolish strongholds and tear down the, the ways of thinking of the world, the foolishness of the world, the wisdom of the world. But it's using kingdom methods. And so it's so alluring to use other methods to achieve kingdom ends. But again, if we go to the example of Jesus, we see him patently refusing to do that. When Satan comes to him in the wilderness, this is the challenge that's going on. Hey, I'll make you king because that's what you're here to do, become king. But just do it through these methods. And Jesus rejects that out of hand. It's almost what we see there is, is Satan doesn't have a problem with Jesus being king as long as he does it his way and not the way of the cross. He, he doesn't want him to use kingdom methods, because I think Satan's at least smart enough to figure out that if we try to establish the kingdom using non-kingdom methods, it's no longer the kingdom. And, and so it's it's remembering that, you know, for example, I, I will see Christians talk about we need leaders who are strong and powerful and won't take any mess and will fight back and push and hit back. And use their power when they have it. And yet, Jesus said really clearly, that's how the Gentiles use power. That's how the the non-kingdom people use power. Not so with you. You're going to be a people who embrace sacrifice, laying your life down for others, not using the kingdom methods. And so we can often lose sight of that. You know, say maybe there's an issue that's very important or passionate to Christians. And we're like, we got to pass a law that outlaws that. But you got to take a step back from a kingdom perspective and go, well, wait a minute, though. What does that law actually accomplish? Because is the government uh, forcing people to take that action? Or are they simply by law saying you can't forbid the action. So so let me use a controversial example here uh, so that it's clear. Um, abortion is a tragic thing. And it it is, it, it's just, it's horrible and it's awful and it's not God's will for his world or his people. And it's it's tragic on many levels. And I, I'm, again, I, I don't want to be mistaken here. I'm not saying we shouldn't work towards reasonable laws and those sorts of things. But sometimes we can throw all our eggs in that basket. That's the, the golden ticket. Let's pass laws that ban abortion. But again, what is really happening there? The government has not set up anything that's forcing people to have abortions. They're simply saying you have the choice. So where is the actual ground that the kingdom should be fighting on? Is it simply at the government level where now we take away choice and we forbid it and we don't let people do it? Even when that happened, a lot of people don't realize that before Roe versus Wade was passed, there was just as many abortions going on as there is now. It really didn't have a real big impact on the number. Again, I'm not against reasonable laws and those sorts of things, but the ground where that's actually taking place is the choice of the people who are stuck in these situations, who are making the tragic choice to have abortions. And I write about it in Escaping the Beast in the 19th century. Abortion was a huge problem. But the Christians of the 19th century, rather than relying on kind of, hey, let's go to the weapons of the world and use politics and laws and power, they said, let's go to where the people are. Let's love the women who are in these situations. Let's, um, you know, let's really fight for um, those who are stuck in poverty. Let's let's create safety nets for them. Let's love them. Let's, um, you know, offer uh, options of adoption. And they radically cut the abortion level far greater than any law in the 20th or 21st century has. And my point is because they really approached it from a kingdom perspective. So, again, just to be a million times clear, I'm not saying that laws are never an option or they're automatically bad or whatever. But I think sometimes we lose sight and we put all of our baskets in that as a once this law is passed, then the kingdom will be established here on Earth that's not how it works. And so we have to, I think, think through like, what is actually the issue here? Where is the ground that we actually have to use the kingdom weapons where they'll be most effective? Again, that takes a lot of thought, a lot of discernment, a lot of prayer. uh, and, And it's not always clear, but that's, I think, the direction we need to be moving.
1: Let's talk about number eight, strive to be sacrificial. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, that's just taking the shape of Christ, I think, in the world. Everything, you know, it wasn't like Jesus was this jovial, great teacher, carpenter, you know, sort of fun guy to be around who just lived life and then Uh, He was such a great teacher that tragically ended one day when he died on a cross. His whole life was cross-shaped. His whole life was for the benefit of others. And he's really, really clear. If you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. And it's funny how often, and I know I can be guilty of this, we reduce the idea of cross-bearing To Well, I just have to deny myself in the form of like, I want to go indulge. I want to overindulge. I want to, you know, fulfill my desires, but no, I'm carrying my cross. I'm denying myself. That's a tiny portion of what it means to carry the cross. To carry our cross means we live sacrificially for the benefit of others. We lay our lives down. We stand up for those who are marginalized, for the most vulnerable, the most oppressed, that we, we put them first. And oftentimes what I see in a lot of modern Christianity, especially those who do start engaging in political issues, is it really becomes more about our rights, our way of life, preserving what we get to do. And again, Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians. He goes after the church about this because they were mimicking this aspect of Roman culture where they, especially the high status Christians, were really going out and and exercising their rights to the detriment of others. And Paul says very clearly in verses, uh, chapter six through 10, you know, what your rights are is not the ground from which a Christian should be starting their philosophy or their worldview or their arguments. Christians are looking, how can I lay my life and my rights down for the benefit of others? And so using that principle will really challenge us in a lot of ways to think through like, man, what does that look like in the world?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that whole abandonment of rights for the sake of the kingdom. What, what a powerful discussion. Um, Paul gave up some of his own rights so as to uh, sacrificially give himself for his kingdom work. And and uh, we, we Americans, man, that discussion of rights, sits at the forefront of so much of our conversation. We as kingdom people need to be uh, just really reevaluating that. Thank you for that let's go to the last principle. Um, I'm real curious about this. Determine where action should occur.
2: Yeah. Well, so I'm going to freely admit here, this is the most difficult principle to apply. And there's just not, you know, a clear cut rule of thumb. And I think it looks different in times and places. And so we not only have to be really aware of the kingdom principles, the previous eight principles, but also then look at the, the world that we're in and understand that and be like, uh, who is it in, in Chronicles? The men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, uh, I don't think living out the kingdom ways and God's justice in the world and all all of that automatically means we always run and try to fix the problems of the world. In fact, I think that's often not going to be what it looks like. I think it it often is going to start with us in the kingdom of God living out this new reality, being the new creation. And, And so For example, Paul in 2 Corinthians, other places, but certainly in 2 Corinthians, really focuses in on the idea of being a new economic reality where there's not going to be surplus or lack. There's going to be sufficiency for all in the kingdom of God. We're going to take care of one another. And then that will overflow to the world. But oftentimes when Christians say, oh, I want to help the poor, we immediately start looking outside of the church and we go start all these programs and try to help the poor and I'm all for that that's good but it rings kind of hollow if we haven't created a new economic reality within our communities do we have poor you know christians who can't you know single moms or whatever who can't barely pay for uh, their own expenses or they don't have money to get training, to get a good job, you know, those sorts of things. Have we really thought through in big ways living out a, a different sort of reality? So sometimes it will start with us. Like this actually should be aimed internally and we should be modeling this for the world and then calling them to come join us. Like, Hey, you know, we've actually, kind of figure this out a little bit within the kingdom of God and and be a model. And then sometimes it may mean we very carefully and thoughtfully and prayerfully have to look and say, man, this is going to demand us standing up for the oppressed or those who are being treated unjustly. We are going to have to step out into the grounds of the world and say, well, we're standing up for them. But again, oftentimes when Christians have stepped out into the political realm recently, it's for us. It's Mm -hmm. for our rights and what we want to or don't want to do rather than for the oppressed to stand out and say, let's stand in the gap for them. So this principle, as with any, um, man, I super appreciate you having me on and talking through these and giving me so much time. And yet I will freely admit, It's hard to really wrap these all up, even in three episodes in a podcast. So if anybody's listening and they really disagree or something I said worked them up, I really encourage them to go read the book at least and see kind of the fuller explanation. And then understand, again, it's a dialogue. I'm not saying I have this all 100% right and figured out. And so I, I hope it, it you know, gets the juices flowing in a kingdom direction. And let's really talk about this and figure it out.
1: Oh, Michael, I think you have written what is and have conveyed it here well. What is a, a great contribution to some things that people are really wrestling with. And, and I think you've offered something here that's going to help people talk about how to navigate those well, people with kingdom hearts and and the mind of a disciple to say, boy, what does it look like to honor Jesus in these times that we're in, and engage well, and and boy, just let the kingdom uh, rule in our hearts. Let Christ the King rule, and and be salt and light in our community. Let's be different makers, but let's let's do it in kingdom ways. I've appreciated the conversation. I I, I hope you know if it has stirred anybody up on any of these nine principles or the things we talked about earlier. I hope it's just stirred us up to to think well, and to think in a Christ centered way. So, man, can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on. Um, hope you enjoyed it. so much. much blast. I, I mean, when you write a book like this, um, you, you're 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 hoping to make a contribution to important conversations and churches, and and I think you you've achieved that. I want to ask you before Thank you get away though, uh, yeah, what what else you got in the works? you got anything else in the pipeline that you're thinking about and getting ready to write about?
2: I, I do'm um, I'm, I'm working on a book right now. It's actually called uh, tentatively the you know, you never know it can change at the last minute. Um, uh, but it, it, it's called tentatively the the Great Lie, The Spiritual Battle of Race. And I'm a little bit returning to the topic of race, but in more of a meta sense of laying out what I see in the Bible is going all the way back to Genesis three is, is the great lie of superiority where Satan convinces us that we can be more than image bearers of God. We don't have to be image bearers. We can make up our own decisions and will and that sort of thing. But in becoming superior that then creates categories of inferior. And so all throughout history, we've created in different versions of that lie of treating people uh, in an inferior way. And so the book is really going to go through in a lot of detail, how Paul challenges the church in Corinth and the, specifically the letter of first Corinthians, how he challenges them on the, the fact that they are bringing in the culture around them and different elements of the, the great lie of status, which was their version of or their biggest version of that lie in the first century and how he challenges them, how he calls them to move forward and then how that applies to our situations today with things like race and culture where those are kind of our versions of the lie, that we're somehow different based on the color of our skin. And so I think there's a lot there from Paul that applies so beautifully for today. And so that's kind of what I'm working on.
1: Man, I'm intrigued. I will look forward to that coming out. And maybe having you back on for another conversation about the content of that book. That'd be Uh, great. It's been great to be with you. I know you're getting ready to go down to Dallas, but if I were to come up here, here's a question I, we always ask, um, yes. on our podcast, it's a heavy question. So you got to really kind of get your mind ready. I hope it doesn't wear your, your thought process is out, but right. we always say unity starts with a cup of coffee. And if I were to, I'd love to do this. If I were to come, uh, up and visit with you in Minneapolis, St. Paul, what's your favorite coffee place there? And then how do you like your coffee? How do you take it?
2: Okay. So this is where I'm going to get kicked off of the podcast, right? Because I don't drink coffee at all. (laughs) I can't stand it. But um, I do love when I go to coffee shops with people, but I always get uh, hot chocolate, white chocolate with peppermint. And so, so that is kind of my deal. Um, and probably, you know, where, where's my favorite place? I mean, there's the standard uh, Starbucks has a, a pretty good one, but there's, there's this great little coffee shop in St. Paul called Quixotic that a friend of mine here just loved and introduced me to, and it's kind of a cool little place. And uh, I guess they have really good coffee if that's your thing. But I would love to sit down uh, with you, and you can have a cup of coffee, and I'll have a cup of hot chocolate.
1: Hey, I'd be happy with that. Well, you know, we, we're never going to kick a guy off that spent three podcasts with us, kind of pouring <laughs> out his thinking. Um, and and I you would say that this. at the
2: beginning, right?
1: Oh, Michael, no problem. As a matter <laughs> of fact, I don't know if our producer John Teal, if he keeps a record, running record. But I, I don't know if you're in a majority or minority. I can't tell you how many guests we get to the end of this conversation with. They say, man, I don't like or don't drink coffee. So, you well, know, if you it's go. going to get a cup of tea or going to get a cup of hot chocolate or a cup of coffee, just go get a cup of something and, uh, and have that conversation.
2: Are, are you a Twins fan? Vikings fan? Kind of you not at all. I grew up Wisconsin Badger born, Badger bred and when I die I'm Badger dead. So all the all the <laughs> Wisconsin teams are that that's my jam.
1: All right. Well, Michael, <laughs> it has been just a great privilege getting to know you and I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Any any last thing you'd like to say to our uh, our listeners?
2: No, just thank you so much for the time and having me on for all three episodes. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, we appreciate your coming on. Folks, join us uh, next week. We'll drop another podcast, another conversation. We pray that you have been blessed uh, by this one. Have a great week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources, and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember... Unity starts with a cup of coffee.